Good morning, church. It's uh, two minutes to noon, so still morning. <laughs> um, yeah, very glad to, to be here. And uh, so today um, we'll be talking about joy in missions. And uh, looking at this passage from Luke 10, verse 1 to 24, where Jesus sends out the 72. passage has uh, four parts, uh, but we will focus on three parts. Okay, firstly, from verse 1 to verse 12, where Jesus sends out the 72. Verses 17 to 20, when the 72 return, and um, verse 21 to 24, where Jesus rejoices in the Father's will. Uh, because it's a very long passage, uh, we will focus on certain verses, and we will firstly look uh, at Jesus when he sent out the 72. Starting from verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking, uh, what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So we, if we read up to this part, we will think that uh, mission work is rather scary and challenging. And we can get hints of that from the passage, right? Jesus tells his disciples that he'll be sending them out as, wolf, uh, as, as lambs in the midst of wolves, right? And he told them to not bring anything uh, extra with them, right? No no sandals, so not, not like three pairs of shoes. No, no sandals, no money bag, which means they didn't have anything to carry any money with. No knapsack, they can't bring extra food. Right, so it sounds like a very challenging task that he, he tasked these disciples to do. But let's just read on and see what happens when they returned. So, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw heaven fall from light, uh, fall, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority and nothing shall hurt you. Right? Because he said he has given authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So despite the challenges that Jesus preempted his disciples uh, would encounter, um, the post-mortem after this mission trip that they took was all about joy. The disciples, they returned with joy. And Jesus said that they were blessed to have seen what they did. And Jesus himself rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And for Winston and I, we can truly testify that in this journey um, of uh, going on missions, um, as we stand on this brink of a new adventure in Nepal, um, that even though there's many uncertainties and we also have some trepidations, um, we have experienced so much joy, far more than we have ever had before. 
You know, according to this passage, there are many sources of joy uh, when we are willing to step out in faith and obedience for God. Um, and we will summarize, I can summarize them into four Ps. Right? So the joy in God's power, God's provision, God's presence, as well as God's promise. So firstly, we can rejoice in seeing God's power unleashed and His kingdom advancing. Um, all missions start from the sovereignty of God, and Pastor Kok Fai reminded us of the Great Commission at the start of the year in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice the word, therefore. So if Jesus has no authority, then all our mission will be in vain. But because Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, we can step forward in full confidence to make disciples of all nations. So in November last year, um, uh, Winston and I and uh, Pastor Singing, we had the opportunity to go to Nepal. And when we were there, we, we had the privilege of meeting a group of uh, ex-leprosy patients. So these um, were patients who were treated at the International Nepal Fellowship, INF, um, and um, they had really very sad stories. So essentially, they were thrown out of their villages because uh, people were afraid that um, they would contract leprosy if they uh, mixed with them, very much like Jesus' time. Right? So these people were poor, they were powerless, they were persecuted, and they had nowhere to go. So um, INF took them in, they treated them, uh, cured them of their leprosy, and many of them uh, uh, subsequently came to faith because of the work of this organization. So eventually, in the 1970s, 1980s, the government decided to resettle these people into a place called Badia. Um, this, this place was actually a place where prisoners were sent. So it's in the middle of the jungle, it was a thick jungle. And the reason why they were sent to such a terrible place, because even though they were cured, the local people were still afraid of them. So they were sent to this place where, um, this map here just shows it's all green, it's all jungle. There's also... Um, a national park there with tigers and all that. And I'm sure tigers probably don't, um, don't uh, respect boundaries. So, you know, the area, the area was really dangerous and there were snakes, scorpions, and just very, a very high risk of getting, um, getting um, attacked by animals. So these people were resettled to this place. And um, it's, yeah, this Ulu place, and they were, they were just, they were helpless. Right? So what did they do? Um, they decided that they would build a hut and pray. So they cleared the jungle and they built a hut. So they had to clear the jungle in order to build their homes. But before they built their homes, they decided to build a hut and they prayed. Right? They prayed and they cried out to God. And that was how the first church in Badia was born. Right? It was through these people, these ex-leprosy patients right, who were resettled into this jungle and that's where the first church started. And very amazingly, God's promise in Luke 10, verse 19, right, where he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Not one of them was bitten by a snake or scorpion. And we actually got to meet those first um, Christians right, who, who were resettled there, and they are now uh, pastoring churches in the area. And since then, um, these 30, 40 years, they are now more than a hundred churches in that district. And it's not only in this place, right? All over Nepal, yeah, the, the, the church is growing and growing at tremendous rates despite, despite persecution, despite opposition, right? So we know that, that God, His kingdom, God is just working and His kingdom is advancing. Amen? Amen. So the disciples also experienced God's power and victory over evil and his demons. In, um, in verse uh, 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan falling from, uh, like lightning from heaven. You know, one of the greatest mistakes we can make is to think that the devil doesn't exist and be ignorant of the ways that he tries to attack us. However, another mistake that we can make is to fear the devil and his demons and then be paralyzed into not taking action. But we know that Jesus, Jesus has already won the victory. Right? He said, 
Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of, en- of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. In our lives, sometimes we can get fearful or discouraged when we experience spiritual attacks. But know this, the devil attacks us because he's feeling threatened, because he sees what God is doing in us and through us. So don't be discouraged. Every attack of the devil is an opportunity to witness to the power and victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so um, when I started leading, uh, when I started being part of the worship ministry um, last year, um, I used to get a cough, uh, a sore throat, runny nose, um, just the day or two before worship. And it kept happening time after time. So at first, I didn't think any, anything of it. But when it kept recurring, then I realized that it was something more than just falling sick. Right? It was an attack from the devil. And so um, I prayed, I trusted God, and chose to continuing, continue worshipping. And you know, the very amazing thing is that before the worship started, or even during practice, my throat would be terrible, would be in pain, or be coughing. But every time when I stood up there and opened my mouth to worship God, God would give me a new voice. Right? It, it will just be a new voice and I can sing. And my voice will last just for that worship set. <laughs> and after that, it will be terrible again. <laughs> but when second service comes and I open my voice again, the new voice will come. And then, of course, it will be back to being terrible again. So I know, I, I know that this is a work of God, right? Um, because it's bad, it gets, it just, I have a new voice, and then it gets terrible again in between services. It's like doing a control study, you know. First it's like terrible, then good, and then bad, and then good again. Yeah, so, so I know that, you know, God will not let his name be put to shame where we choose to continue worshipping, worshipping despite what we feel, despite um, any, any blocks, any attacks, that God will come through for us. So I want to encourage all of us here, if we are, if we are feeling discouraged um, by the evil one, know that our God is victorious and we just can keep on worshipping and singing for Him. So not unexpectedly, a um, few days ago, I suddenly developed uh, blocked block ears. Yeah. Um, I think that some earwax got impacted or something. Yeah. So I'm not coughing or anything, but my ears are blocked now, so I can't really hear myself very well. Okay, and uh, later we'll be gonna, we're going to sing a song. So this, so I, I probably can't hear very well when I sing, but I just want to say even before we, I mean when we, before we sing later, that I will choose to continue singing and worshipping God no matter what. And uh, it doesn't matter if I can't hear, it doesn't matter if I can't hear the keyboard, anything, but I choose to just declare God's victory in the midst of any form of attack from the devil. Amen. So next, we can also experience joy in God's provisions. The disciples were told to carry no money back, no knapsack, no sandals, and that food and lodging would be be provided for them. So essentially, Jesus told them, you just go, no extra things to be brought with you, but I will provide for you, right? Just eat whatever is provided for you. And I think this is very difficult for us as Singaporeans, where we love to have all forms of security, we're very kiasu, we make sure we have everything with us, uh, we plan ahead, even when we go on a trip, we will make sure uh, we check out the place first, uh, if we think we can't adapt to the local diet, we will bring our own comforts from home, I know some people travel with like the bakwa and the, the instant noodles, uh, although maybe now instant noodles not so easy to get, uh, <laughs> and maybe no one wants to travel right, at this point of time, but you know, we, we just want to be secure. We want to make sure we have everything with us. Or perhaps some of us, we have already accumulated so many things that we feel we have too much stuff. So we want to declutter. So anybody heard of this uh, decluttering guru, a uh, Japanese lady called Marie Kondo? Yeah. <laughs> right? so, so she's quite famous now, right? Um, in the decluttering trend. Everybody's trying to declutter. And um, her philosophy is... Um, only keep what sparks joy, right? Um, if something sparks joy, keep it. If not, toss it. So a few years ago, I saw her book in a, in a bookstore. And uh, in the spirit of not 
wanting to declutter my house, I decided to stand in the bookstore and read through the whole book. So I read it from cover to cover. <laughs> and, and after that, I was glad I didn't buy the book because I couldn't understand what she was trying to say. How would, how would um, this benchmark of what would spark joy uh, determine what I keep or throw out? So for example, um, my washing machine, I need it, it doesn't spark joy, what do I do? <laughs> right, and I know subsequently, um, there have been many spoofs that have been made about this. You know, some people say, oh, I want to declutter my office. So what if you have colleagues who don't spark joy, what do you do to them? <laughs> but more seriously, I was also thinking, I was just wondering, I couldn't figure out um, how long that spark of joy for a particular particular item was supposed to last. Right, because when I impulse buy, when I buy something on impulse, it sparked joy at the moment, that's why I bought it in the first place. But after I brought it home, it didn't spark as much joy. Right? So, so I, I, I just couldn't figure out what, what she means by keep something that sparked joy or throw out, you know, what doesn't spark joy. So some of you may know that about two years ago, um, uh, God led Vincent and I to live a simpler life. So we... Uh, essentially gave away a lot of our possessions and moved to a smaller house. And it was only um, in that process that I realized that true joy came not from what I had, right, but whose I was. I was a child of God, right, and God provides for all our needs, right. Joy comes from not what we have, but whose we are. We are children of God, and He provides for all our needs. Last year, when God called us to missions, um, we didn't know how we would be supported financially because we quit our jobs, right? We didn't know how we'd be supported. And ironically, uh, God challenged us not only to trust Him, but also to give more. Right? It seemed very paradoxical, like you should be saving money, but God told us, no, give, give more. And God has constantly amazed us um, on how, how much He cared for us and provided for us along the way beyond what we could have ever imagined. And we, we can affirm that there is such joy and freedom in letting go of earthly things and trusting in Him. Thirdly, we find joy in God's presence through the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We know Jesus is no more on earth with us, but He has given us the Holy Spirit who is present with and in us at all times. This whole, this whole past year has been, uh, for Winston and I, uh, a crash course in the school of the Holy Spirit. In listening and obeying the Holy Spirit, in experiencing His guidance and intervention, and also allowing Him to speak to us uh, and to use us. So, I, be, and, you know, I believe when we take risks and step out in faith, the Holy Spirit will equip us for the task that God wants us to do. For example, um, we have recent, both of us have recently been uh, given the gift of songwriting. Um, and, uh, okay, Avoni is cheering. <laughs> of songwriting. And um, as well as um, I, I started to paint, I started to do art about uh, uh, two, uh, two years ago. And, and we believe that art and music would be a very big part of our ministry in Nepal. Although we don't know how and what form yet, but we're really excited to see how God will use these gifts that He has given us for His glory. And so because um, um, the pastors knew that we could write songs, so they requested that we write a song for our commendation. <laughs> um, and um, I still remember two weeks ago, um, I was starting to get a, a little bit anxious because we did not have a song. <laughs> and so <laughs> there was a whole week of praying you know, and, and just seeking God and asking God, please, please, please help us out. You know, we, we, there's a deadline to meet. And... Um, Thank God, about a week ago, um, I wrote out the lyrics of the, of the, of the song, but there was no tune. <laughs> so I was, I was about to be prepared to maybe read a poem because <laughs> there was no tune for the song. <laughs> and, and songwriting is really very new to me. I've only written one other song before, so it's not like I'm a seasoned songwriter. I only just started writing songs maybe one or two months ago. Yeah, so, so there was no tune. So last Saturday, I was pretty desperate. So I prayed. I was like, God, we really need help. It's, it's one week time and there's no tune. And so I prayed. And I, I took, I took that, that, that um, poem that I had, brought it to the piano. Um, 
turn on my voice recorder and guess what? I started to sing and to play and the song just came out of my mouth in one take. And I know it's the Holy Spirit because after I was done, I didn't know what I had sung, what the tune was. So I had to replay that recording many times to get the tune and after that I had to learn the song. Right? So it was like, God just gave me the song, just, just used me as an instrument for the song to come out and then after that I had to learn the song. Yeah, so then I just spent the, the, the week trying to learn the tune of the song. Right? I was like, what did I just play? I, 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 I asked myself, I was like, playing multiple, multiple times because I couldn't figure out what, what notes were, I was playing. Right? So it was all, all God's work. Right? And when we, when we just have that faith and that obedience that God, just, just use me. God, God does wonders. And um, very amazingly, two days after we had the tune for the song, I was having dinner with a, a couple. And this sister in Christ, halfway through our conversation, she suddenly said, um, I see a vision. And I think she's not, she doesn't usually see visions, so she was like a bit, okay, this is very strange. So she said she, she described that she saw a vision of a white um, jar, clay jar. And um, there was light coming out from the jar. And she said, I feel like you will be a vessel, right? A vessel that is used for God's love to shine through. Right? And, and I was very surprised because I was like, okay, it was just random your conversation and she said that. And I knew that there was something deeper to that, but I couldn't get it at that point of time. But the next day, I woke up, I realized that the name of the song, the, the title of the song that we had just written was called Vessel. Right? And it's about us being used as vessels of God's love. So this was yet another confirmation from, for, for us Right, that this is all the work of the Holy Spirit and it's all He's doing and all glory belongs to Him. Amen? Amen. And finally, we can experience joy in God's promise that our names are written in heaven. Right? Jesus said, Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And it's because of this that we know our destiny is secure in Christ, that we can take risks and step out in faith in this life for God. And we, all of us, we have this privilege and joy of preparing the way of our Lord Jesus Christ, just like the 72 who went ahead for the Lord Jesus. Okay, now Winston will take over, and then later we will sing our song. <laughs> Sorry to keep you all in suspense. but um, So now I just want to share a bit of my own reflections about what can we actually do Right, on this Mission Sunday. And, and before that, you know, um, before Luke chapter 10, in chapter 9, uh, Jesus commissions and sends out his 12 apostles. Right? And everyone knows who the 12 apostles are, right? Peter, James, John, you know, a whole lot of them. They're famous, right? Some of them have books uh, written in the New Testament. But actually, who are the 72? Right? In Luke chapter 10, who are the 72? And people have done, you know, scholars have done research over the years and try to figure out who are these people. But to this day, no one knows who they are. No one knows who they are, right? No one knows their names even. They are anonymous. And as you reflected on this, I believe Luke is perhaps trying to tell us something, right? That God doesn't just choose the high profile, the famous people, like the Peter, the James, the John. He chooses the anonymous people, ordinary people like you and I, and sends them out to do extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. And before he sent them out, you know, Jesus said that already said that there weren't enough of them, right? This is Luke um, chapter 9, oh, sorry, Luke chapter 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, as non-farmers, right, and as non-agricultural people where, you know, our fruit comes nice and packaged in the supermarket, we may not understand the, 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 the gravity of this statement because when there are not enough workers at harvest time, it is actually a disaster. Right, it's a disaster. What will happen is that the crops will literally rot in the field because there are not enough workers. This picture was taken in the UK, right? It's from an article from the UK last year, where because of a severe labor shortage, tons and tons of beautiful fruits and vegetables were just left to rot in the field. Right? These are apples because there was not enough people to collect them. 
And so there's an urgency to Jesus' command. There's an urgency to Jesus' command. We need to pray urgently that God will send out laborers into the harvest. But you know what happens when we pray that prayer? In Matthew chapter 9, this is the parallel account by Matthew, right, where Jesus says the same thing to his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. And you know what happens immediately after this? In Matthew chapter 10, he calls his 12 apostles to himself, and he sends them out into the harvest. When we pray that prayer of Matthew 9, we become the answer to that prayer. We become the answer to that prayer. The harvest is just as plentiful today. The needs are just as pressing as they were in Jesus' time. We need many, many more people who will say, yes, Lord, send me out into the harvest. And we need the whole church to be involved in mission, not just a small group of people. Right, like Charles Spurgeon once said, it is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And it's not just about going overseas, right? It is about being faithful wherever God has placed us, wherever God calls us to. We are all missionaries for Christ. So what can we do? Right? I want to frame my reflections here around Jesus' um, parting statement to his disciples just before he ascended back to heaven. Right? This is in Luke chapter 24. He says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance from the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now first Jesus says, beginning from Jerusalem. Right? And at that point of time, they were in Jerusalem. Right? This was the disciples' own city. And I think Jesus has given us a pattern here. Mission starts from our own city. Mission starts from Singapore. Right? And there are many, many ways in which we can be involved in missions, even here. Right? Um, volunteer at our CSC. Right? Um, you know, there is, uh, there's no need to really go across the seas and you know, far, far away in order to cross cultures. Right? You just go to CSC every Friday, you will encounter people from different ethnic groups, different races, different backgrounds, different life situations, all walks of life, all in our backyard, in one place. And many of the residents, it's such a joy to see, have just come to faith through the work of the CSC. And there are many more. There are many more. Right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Volunteer your time and your talents. Right? Um, you know, who knows, maybe God can use the talents we have here to start new ministries, new outreach opportunities. And I know there are many talented people here in this room, right? Many young adults who are talented, who are musicians, who are artists, who are you know, lawyers, doctors, engineers. Uh, we even have talented chefs, I'm sure. How can all these talents be used for God's kingdom? Right? And finally, just open our eyes to the people around us. Sometimes the opportunity for missions, for witness, can just be one door away. I want to share my own testimony. One of our neighbours on the same floor in the HB flat that we stay in uh, is a, a young Malay, Malay Muslim man uh, and his Chinese wife. And I, we bumped into him a few times and we discovered that actually he has a love for, uh, a shared love for photography. Okay? Uh, so one day we decided, okay, we're going to go for a photography walk right, around our neighbourhood. And this is our neighbourhood in Topayo. Okay? So we walked around and we were taking pictures in the morning. Uh, and we were just chatting and, and he casually asked me, oh, what books are you reading now? And at that point of time, I happened to be reading this book called The Insanity of God, which I mentioned in my last sermon. So I told him about it, and, and I had a chance to share about how, you know, in this book, uh, you know, you, you can hear about how Christians right, are being persecuted for their faith, right, in many countries of the world. Okay? Um, and so we, we chatted a bit more, and then we, after we finished, I invited him over to our place for dinner another day. Okay? So another day, uh, he and his wife came over to our place, uh, just a door away, right, for dinner. And we were chatting further, and we discovered that we have another shared love, right, for music and for playing the guitar. So we said, okay, great, we must jam together, okay? Uh, so I invited him over to our place another day, right, to jam, okay? So he brought his guitar over, and then we were just playing, so we were just playing some, you know, some uh, guitar songs and all that. Um, and then all of a sudden, he asked me, you know, oh, do you, how about, do you write songs? Do you write songs? Uh, and I said, oh, as a matter of fact, I do, right? Um, and, and I write songs, you know, about my faith, about, about, about Christ and, and my journey, and guess what happened, right? That, that whole night, Shermin and I ended up singing all the songs that we have written. Um, and guess what? He ended up even playing along and even singing some of the words of the songs. And I was like, I was, I was, I was like, God, what, what on earth is going on here? But it was just happening in front of my eyes, right? And, 
and we're just amazed. And because of that, um, we actually had the chance to share a bit more about our faith. We shared our whole journey of how God called us to mission step by step. Right? I think it was a great opportunity to witness to Him. And looking back, I realized something. I realized that, you know, if we are not prepared to be missionaries in Jerusalem, we will not be missionaries to the end of the earth. Right? And God did not call my wife and I to Nepal until we were ready to be missionaries in our own city. And next in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right, Jesus says, um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Where is Judea and Samaria? So this is a map of the Holy Land in Jesus' time. And you can see Judea is the province in which Jerusalem sits, and Samaria is the neighboring province right, to Judea. Where is our Judea and Samaria? Right, in Singapore. Maybe it's Malaysia, maybe it's Indonesia, Batam, a bit further, Thailand, Cambodia, Bangladesh, even further, India, Nepal, China, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, and further. Who knows? This this is our Judea and Samaria. What can we do? Go for a short-term mission trip overseas. Go for a short-term mission trip overseas. And Pastor Kokwai will speak about that shortly. The 72 in Luke chapter 10 went on a short-term mission trip, right? And you see how their lives were changed. See how their lives were changed. So go for one, but don't just treat it as a meaningful holiday, right? Prepare seriously, right? Prepare in prayer, prepare in study of the word. Learn about the culture you're going to. Learn the language, right? It will make so much difference. Leave your own assumptions behind and go with a humble heart to see the amazing things that God is doing in our own backyard and in the nations. And um, no, don't just go once and that's it. Right? Don't become like a mission trip tourist, like going from one mission trip to another. Go to a place and keep going back. Build up long-term relationships with the Christian community. Right? And this is something you can learn from the Apostle Paul. Right? When he went to a new place and he established a church, right? after he left, he wouldn't just say bye-bye and go. Right? He'll keep in constant contact. He'll go back and visit them if he can. If he can't, he'll write letters. And some of those letters are our books of the New Testament today. Right? Keep going back and, and maintain that long-term relationship with the Christian community. You know, speaking of mission trips, right, this is one of the earliest mission trips I went on in 2004 to the Philippines right, with some very familiar people. Right? Um, is Joseph around today? I didn't see him, but that is a very young, um, blur-looking Joseph. Right? Uh, I, think, I think the rest of us look the same now, roughly. Right? Um, and, and this was one of my earliest mission trips. And it was during this trip that I believe a very deep seed was planted in my heart. Right? It never went away. Right? And I think it's only starting to bear more and more fruit now. Right? And finally, Jesus says, um, to the end of the earth. Right? To the end of the earth. And you may be wondering, okay, well, yeah, it sounds nice, but Jesus, are you really serious? Right? Do we really have to go from PPH to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel? Paul says something very interesting in Romans chapter 15. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So in other words, Paul was originally planning to first go to Rome, say hi, and then go on to Spain. You may think what's so special about Spain, other than maybe Barcelona football club. Um, But what's so special about Spain? In Paul's time, Spain was literally the end of the earth. Because you recall at the time, America hadn't been discovered yet. Okay, this was all there, there was. Right? America was only discovered centuries later by Columbus. So Spain was literally the end of the earth for Paul. You know, Paul took Jesus' command very seriously to the end of the earth. And I think so should we. And the interesting thing is that I think for many of us here, right, we are already traveling to the ends of the earth right? for holidays, for work, some of us for overseas posting, some of us for studies, right? So I think we can also learn not just from Paul, but from Daniel. Right? That when God puts us in a foreign land, for whatever reason, right, work, studies, or whatever, take that opportunity to witness for our faith, right? Open our eyes to the needs of the people, strengthen the local church community, pray for the people around us. Right? And that brings me to my last point, which is this, pray, pray. Missions is spiritual warfare. We have seen it. And prayer is our most effective weapon in this battle. Right? If the battle is the Lord's, then the prayer is the way we can stay in constant touch with the commander, with Jesus. 
And recently, I heard a very encouraging testimony from a brother in Christ from, from PPH uh, who doesn't want to be named. Uh, this brother was at our Christmas event at Teban Gardens last year. And he met this elderly lady who's, who stays in Teban Gardens uh, who suffers from back and leg pain. And this brother said that when he, when he met this lady, his heart broke for her. His heart broke for her. And so he felt compelled um, to just keep praying for her even after the event. And later on, he had a chance to visit this lady, right, to pray for her in her home. And before that, you know, he prayed to God. He cried out to God and said, Lord, would you break the hold of Satan over this lady? Right? And he claimed this lady for Christ. And that morning, he went with, uh, with a good friend to this lady's place. Right? Um, he prayed for them. He shared the gospel. They shared the gospel with this lady. Right? They led them to repent of their sins. And they led this lady to Christ. And later that day, I think Pastor and a few others went to remove idols from the home. You know, prayer works wonders. Prayer works wonders. When we pray, God works. Right? I shared this quote uh, sometime, I think, in one of the previous sermons. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I wonder to myself, what happened to the 72? Luke chapter 10. What happened to them? There's no, nothing further heard about them in all the Gospels, so we can only guess. And maybe some of them might have been among the 120 people who were gathered in Acts chapter 1, right, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. But one thing is certain, I think, about these 72, right, that their lives were never the same again. Their lives could never be the same again. And there's one final word for us from the Word this morning, which is, which is found in Luke chapter 9, just before Jesus sent out the 72. Right? And to another, he said, this is Jesus, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, I believe that Jesus probably called many more than 72. But there were many who, just like these two, gave excuses. Excuses not to follow. And these excuses, if you look at them, sound perfectly legitimate. Right? They're perfectly legitimate excuses. But because of these excuses, they missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Friends, I just want to say to you this morning, as, you know, as, a, as a young person to young people, right, um, don't waste our life. Right? Don't waste our life on meaningless pursuits, chasing after the things of the world that will bring no pleasure, that will bring no joy. Because Jesus offers us something so much more. Right? Jesus offers us a joy that's so much deeper, so much more powerful than anything this world can offer. Don't waste your life. If God is stirring something in your heart this morning, right, don't give excuses. Don't give excuses. Say yes to God. Commit yourself to do something, to follow Him in obedience. Right? And I guarantee you, see how God will change your life. See how God will change your life. And you will not regret it. So now we're going to sing um, this song for you. And I hope it's an encouragement that just to offer our lives as vessels for God to use.
Let me just take a few more minutes of your time. You know, as I look at the people here, I was kind of prepared for a, a much lesser numbers, but I see that we have a good number here in spite of virus and in spite of Mission Sunday because it used to be that Mission Sunday was uh, when we take a break, we either go to another church or we sleep in. 
because it's like, I think people say that, ah, this missions thing is, is, it's not for me, it's just like a guilt trip that I do not want to take. Because typically on a mission Sunday, we are told of the millions of, of people who die without Christ, and then we are shown sad pictures of naked and hungry children. But I'm very, very glad today that Winston and Sherman talk about joy in missions. And I want to continue with a, a, a similarly very acceptable topic about rest. Don't we all love rest? And that famous verse in the Bible, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But did you know that just three verses ahead of this, we read this, Matthew chapter 11, from verse 25, the same thing that the same speech or conversation that Jesus had that uh, Shemin read for us in Luke chapter 10. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And then continues with the story of uh, the 72 that was sent out. These are the two parallel accounts from Luke 10, Matthew 11. And what happened when the 72 returned? They returned with great joy from their short-term mission trip. And following that joyous episode, Jesus talked about rest. I can just imagine that, that conversation, that, that banter between Jesus and the 72 uh, disciples as they, I think they did a post-mortem as I think all people would do of that mission trip. And, and the disciples going, okay, hey, we just say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And the, and the, and the demons flee. And Jesus says, I rejoice. When you did that, I saw Satan fall like lightning uh, from heaven. But rejoice, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, written in heaven. But what is this verse that, that you, God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but revealed them to little children? Let me suggest that these things that are revealed is that childlike joy. That's why only a little child can understand that kind of joy when you obey your father's will and you obey and share the father's heart for missions, for reaching out to someone. And so today, this year, as we're going to be sending four doctors to the mission field, I want us to rejoice. You rejoice, you rejoice as I now reveal, reveal the, the, the history of missions in PPH, or at least from when I joined PPH, 40 years ago, from 1980 in August, when I joined this church. And, and as soon as I joined, I can't remember if it was like the last quarter of 1980 or, 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 or 1981, but certainly no later than 1981, we went on mission trip, okay, to this faraway place I just remember a word called Ulu, okay? Uh, Ulu means backward, right? And the name was Jalan Ulu Ae Molek in faraway place called JB. And so we went to JB Gospel Chapel, okay? Brethren, we did door-to-door -door, uh, evangelism. And very soon after that, we went much further, okay? We progressed. So we went to this place 180 kilometers away called Moa. Um, and, uh, and it was so interesting. I tell you, you just walk into the kampong, into the villages in Moa, and you sit down. And the owners, like, they don't care that you sit down there. So you could well be sitting for about 10 minutes. Then later, they come to you. I see me, ah. What, what, do you, what do you want? And then we just tell them the, the, the gospel. It was like that. It's quite incredible. It's almost like reading the Odyssey, uh, you know, that, that Homer's uh, thing, where you just sit down, and uh, people don't really bother. They are so hospitable. And from there, we went to Sabah. And Sabah was really interesting. It was like fear factor, okay? We walked across the rope bridges, across uh, rivers. And then we entered the village very late at night. It's very dark. And we all went to Mandi. We went to take a shower. Uh, uh, not shower. Went to take a bath in the river. The next morning, we wake up. We look at the river. Oh, gosh, it's brown. It's brown. And um, when we went to the toilet... 
we bring two canisters with us. Okay, mosquito repellent, repellent and then deodorant. All right, because these are all outhouses. Uh, that is like you've got to walk several steps away from the home. In 1981, also, we took this huge step. We jumped 4,800 kilometers all the way to Pakistan, where we sent Eric and Rhonda there. We took this incredible risk. We didn't know nothing about missions, but we went and we made mistakes, okay? Major mistakes. Uh, we also established this place called Beam House. This used to be the old logo for, for PPH and where Pakistani believers gather to worship. 1992, Sauchi was sent to Indonesia to teach in the Bible school. She labored there many, many years. And in that same year, we sent Mark to Operation Mobilization to what is called an overland team. They actually journey from Europe across Central Asia, and we met Mark in Pakistan. And Mark looked there as young as that baby boy that singing is carrying. And you know that Mark is now serving in Southeast Asia uh, again for many years, coming to 10 years, I believe. And then, of course, Philippines. Uh, mission trip, you might remember, you might recognize some of the faces there. Mission trip, and then we commissioned Sing Eng and Chuan and family to the Philippines, and out of which grew Care Channels, which is pretty big now, uh, serving in eight countries. Um, and several of our domestic helpers, uh, we train them, we send them back as missionaries in their homeland. Uh, Chad in, uh, in Abra, Christina now in Muzom, in an area near Manila, and then Madeline uh, for many years now, and then she's retired actually in this uh, Ifugao uh, area. And I love this picture, and uh, I don't know if anybody took picture as we were praying for Winston and Shermin, but in the first service, I asked somebody to do, and I'm going to do this photo collage of uh, we praying for singing in 1998 and now singing, praying for Winston and Sherman in 2020. I'm going to put it up on Facebook. I'm so proud of that. <laughs> okay, uh, then East Asia. Okay, we uh, have euphemisms for all this. In 1993, we sent uh, Yi Cheng, we call her CYC for short. In 1998, Choi Yong, who's currently our uh, church manager, went. Uh, and served from 1998 for many years. Sharon sent in 2008 and came back and now journeying up and down there. And a very strategic work is being done now because we are training native missionaries. And they have already been sent to places such as Nepal, Egypt, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Pakistan, Jordan, all over. Some of you may not know because you are so young that uh, your pastor... The young adult pastor, Lo Chi Ming, spent seven years in East Asia. And then asked him to give, give me a photograph. I look at this photograph. This is not missionary. This is honeymoon couple. <laughs> so I have, I have this brainwave. I'm going to ask Pastor Chi Ming to include a training module in our premarital counseling. This module is going to be called Missions Honeymoon. So all you guys aiming to get married, you know, we're not going to marry you until you go on a Missions honeymoon trip. Um, and then um, Timor Leste, East Timor, we responded what is called a Macedonia call. Uh, you know, Timor went through a period of civil war and all that, the poorest, the newest country in Asia. And we worked very quickly. In 2006 was our first mission trip there, where the president said, Come and help us. Come and help our widows and, and orphans. And, Dr. Raj and Dr. Lewis will be sent there in, in August uh, this year. Uh, Batam. In the same year, 2006, we had a church camp in Batam. So Seng and I, we just took a side trip because we heard of this work uh, of Sarah in Batam. And, and there was like immediate chemistry. Okay, we said, hey, we can work together. We, we are so alike in, in thinking. And then the very next year, in 2007, we had our first ever and last <laughs> missions camp. I believe about like 180 of us went out, not for, not for church camp, but it was a missions camp. We went out daily, we waded through mud and everything. We had health screening, we had uh, all kinds of programs uh, for, for missions. Um, and then missions at home among the foreign workers, 
In the 2009, this picture was taken. Uh, we met this man who knows everything about workers' dormitories and, and all that. And so we went to Penjuru, which is just very close by. Singh and I, we went there, walked into the dormitories, and we just felt that, yeah, we can do something. We can do something here. There are plenty of workers from Bangladesh and India and China. And so soon after that, I think less than a year after that, we had health screening because we've got so many doctors and nurses, right? And then we made kind of a name for ourselves. We established a clinic there and a church service began there and it's ninth year now. It is the ninth year of our Telugu uh, church service here. So many have been baptized. I think you've heard the stories. You go back, they witness to the, the, the parents and the villagers. They get ostracized there. And we now have three couples in Bible school in India training to be Christian workers there. And then uh, I think the latest would be Thailand and our very right and reverential <laughs> Alan Chua. I don't know who gave him the permission to wear that collar. But anyway, if it works there, then, then so be it. And of course, he's also a very, very excellent uh, pig farmer. Uh, except that he eats the stuff that he grows. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, Nepal. And, you know, there is just so much joy in, in, in missions. You know, Winston encouraged us, don't do missions tourism. You know, go here, go there, and just take a look-see. But keep going back to the same place. Know the people, learn a bit of the language, keep going back. And Shing is one of the best examples. I don't know how many times he's been to, to East Timor, but at least I know he goes every year. And this year, in September, he's leading uh, a, a team of medical professionals to go there to train doctors. Again, very strategic work. And you can just see the joy on his face, right? Less hair, but a lot of joy, right? The, the face is so smooth. The smile is so bright. And why? Because his left picture, fruitful. Right picture, he's fishing, okay? No, rather eating fish. But, you know, I, I, I say that it's like it's insufficient to say that the church of God has a mission in this world. It doesn't begin with the church of God. It begins with the God of mission has a church in this world. The God of missions has PPH here in district whatever 118823, postal district code. The church of God has this church here. What are we doing with the mission that God has given to us? And He's not just given us a mission. He's, he wants to share the joy with us. This childlike joy when Satan falls from heaven, when we just say in Jesus' name, that's the joy he wants to share us. Yes, there is a yoke. Yes, there is also rest. But what is this yoke? It's a double yoke. There's a burden, yes, but it is a joy to be yoked to the church, to the God of missions. Because he's doing the heavy lifting. He's doing the heavy pulling. We are along there. We go along for a joy ride, as it were. Okay, it's hard work, but it's a joy ride. And like Rebecca Wu always say, we have a front row seat. We have a front row seat to see the God of missions working His thing out in the world. His story, His, his effort of, of redemption. And we have this front row seat and to enjoy it. So today I want to just share a few things. Uh, this is already over. But we have this lunch um, with Ellen Abassi, with uh, Ye Cheng, um, with Mike Kyrie, is Timor. And I, I think we were supposed to have registered for lunch, but you can still join. I just don't eat, right? Just join. Okay, join. Uh, we, we catered extra, or you can take half my share, or maybe a quarter my share, since I'm quite hungry. Okay, just join us. Uh, today is a rare opportunity, right? If you cannot make it out to East Timor or Thailand, or East Asia, you can make it downstairs, right? Um, missions trip this year as a lot, okay? If I start with, uh, okay, one caveat, okay? It depends on this virus thing, okay? So it may happen, it may be postponed, or, or whatever, we don't know. But we will continue planning on this basis. And you know this verse, 1 John 4, 20, it says, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? So you've got to see. You've got to get out there to see. You know, as soon as my grandson is old enough, I'm going to bring him on a mission trip. Okay? I need him to see 
that, that the world is not like Singapore, okay? So you've got to get out there to see, and these are all the opportunities. Okay, starting from the top left-hand corner, Philippines in our brothers, a very northern part of uh, Philippines. Our sister charity is anchoring uh, that work. So we are planning for April, May, about 8 to 10 days. And then Mongolia, Mongolia, okay, uh, sister Juliana is there planning. These are quite fixed dates, I think, 1st to 10th May, okay, and, and you really don't have too much time to, to sign up uh, for this. Thailand, okay, visit our right reverential uh, Alan Chua, uh, and then eat the pig that he farms uh, August to December. We're not quite sure what the dates are there yet, but it'll be like for a week. Karimbun, any one of us can do, okay? You can do as a cell group, you can do as a couple, as a family, as individuals, because we have enough resources to, to, to organize uh, uh, this. So, uh, but we do have planned uh, something for, for September. Uh, Tanjong Pinang, same thing. Batam, also the same, except that we are trying to get something uh, going for our cool club. I think we just postponed one that was supposed to be, I think, May or something quite recent, but we had to postpone it. So we do want to bring our children to Batam and uh, last but not least, East Timor. Shing will lead that third week of September. Uh, you don't have to be a medical professional. You need all kinds of help. So mission trip and then prayer. Okay, um, these are all the people that we're going to be uh, wanting to, to, to pray for. And I'm glad that every cell group now has adopted one or two of this, we call them units or, or missionaries for prayer because we're, we're not just praying, praying for the missionary, we're praying for the people behind the missionary, right? Those whom they are reaching uh, out to. And you can do so individually as, as well. Just uh, contact Sharon or Singing or myself and we'll give you the, uh, the updates. Uh, we've always had corporate prayer for missions on specific Wednesday nights, uh, part of our prayer meeting, but we want to start something this year also. We want to have corporate prayer church-wide prayer for uh, missions on alternate months, uh, like just after the announcement or, or, or something like that. Somebody will come up and lead us in prayer. And all these are very doable, okay? Um, mission trip, prayer. I mean, people like us, we like go to the ends of the, the world for, for holidays, okay? If you can go to San Francisco, you can go to East Timor, right? It's no big deal. But we are often hung up on this thing called calling. We don't need a calling to holiday in San Francisco, but we want a calling to go to Batam. Right? Something is not quite right. Um, I just say this. If you're able to do it, just do it. Right? Mission trip, prayer. You can pray, right? Just, then just do it. Just do it. I want to end with just one quote. Uh, I believe this is from Brother Andrew, the guy who ministers to the persecuted church. And he says this, the real calling of God is not to a place or a career. Sometimes we think too much. The real calling is just everyday obedience. Right? Your neighbor next door, the someone you meet uh, on the street. I can tell you about this story, about uh, Winston share about the, 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 the family, the husband and wife who received Christ in Teban Gardens. The man who went there, I know him. He was about to do another Christian course on that. Saturday that we were going to do this big Christmas uh, uh, thing in Teban Gardens. But he just felt a tug in his heart. Don't do that. Go and join your church in Teban Gardens. And so he just, everyday obedience, he went there, he befriended this couple. And then he felt a tug in his heart that yes, we should go and visit them on a normal weekday. So he went and then he, he, he uh, led them to Christ. On that same day, he called me and says, hey, we have an opportunity to remove the idols. And I happened to be there for an appointment an hour before him. And so I just went across. And I was so happy to carry three trash bags of idols into my car. It was so joyful to be able to remove and then to, to, to see uh, uh, this couple now with joy, without fear in their hearts. And, and this man says, hey, this couple only speaks Teochew. I'm having great difficulty. They understand a little bit of Mandarin. And then she ma he managed to find someone in our Chinese assembly who speaks Teochew. And uh, yeah, there they go along to strengthen this new believer in the faith. Joy. It's so simple. Let's pray before we go for lunch. Today has been a long day. Okay.
really today, if, if you feel a tuck in your heart that there are easy things that you can do to pray, to ask for updates that you can pray, you can go to Batam, you can go even to East Timor, you can even go to Mongolia, but you feel like, ah, oh, this thing is not for me. Oh, I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You feel this tuck in your heart, you obey or you don't obey. It's as simple as that. It is doable for you, but you do not want to do it. Then it is not obeying. So Heavenly Father, I just want to pray that you would do this work that only you can do. Spirit to spirit, heart to heart. And work in our hearts that the God of mission as John or Jane or so-and-so in PPH. And how are we going to join God in that? How are we going to have that childlike faith and receive that childlike joy? God, work in our hearts. Some of you may be called to long-term missions. I'm not a missionary, but I think I had my call in 1980, 20 years before I entered full-time service. Singing had that, easily seven years, I believe. Raj is about 15 years. Not quite sure about Winston and Sherman, but it's many years. But if today you respond to that call, God can begin that preparatory work. It may not be tomorrow, it may be, well, 15 years later when you will enter into the fullness of joy in being sent out to do the work of God. But let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Right? Be sensitive. Open our hearts. Don't fold our arms and say, no, no. Open it up. Let God, the Holy Spirit, speak to you. And if you feel that talk in your heart, respond immediately in obedience. Sign up for a mission trip. Talk to a pastor. You feel like you have a call to long-term missions or to any form of Christian work. Respond. Let me just end now with a closing prayer. Father God, may you speak to us spirit to spirit. Touch our hearts. Help us to obey every day obedience and to see the joy that only you can give. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here that indeed as we walk in everyday obedience, we walk in everyday joy. And especially in this season of fear and uncertainty, we are rooted, rooted in a God who loves us, who gave himself for us, and what can we do except to obey? So thank you, Lord. I pray your peace be upon every heart. I pray that we will have such a close relationship with you that we can hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit like almost a voice behind our ears to say, do this, turn here, turn there, and we obey and we will receive joy unspeakable satisfaction unparalleled and this comes from this guy who brought this couple to Christ in, in Teban Gardens. Those are his words. Joy unspeakable, satisfaction unparalleled. So I pray in Jesus' name as you are sent out from here.